welcome back to How to Save the Planet, a podcast by Friends of the Earth. I'm Fran and today I'm co-hosting with Danny. Hey, Danny. Hey, Fran. This is my first day back in the office. Um, builders have just, um, they're currently replacing my roof, creating an extraordinary amount of noise. And yesterday, loads of weird black soot started falling on my room, so I decided to come in the office to record this one. <laughs> Sounds a bit apocalyptic. It was a bit apocalyptic. <laughs> Not the vibe. At least you can get outside and uh, what did you, did you cycle into the office? I didn't cycle because I need to repair my bike. But it's been really nice to see some colleagues for the first time in over a year, um, oh, yeah. interact with some new people. How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, very much looking forward to that. I think I'm going to go in tomorrow. Um, it's going to be a hot one, so might take a change of clothes after the bike ride. <laughs> Probably too much information for the listeners. Let's remind you that if you want to get in touch with us, um, you can reach us on podcast at foe.co.uk. That's podcast at foe.co.uk. Or tweet us at friends underscore earth if you want to talk to us or tell us about any particular topics you want us to cover. In today's episode, we have a couple of guests on to talk about the dangerous new policing bill that's been proposed. But first, we want to share a bit of news with you. If you listened to last episode, you would have heard community groups across the country were working hard to make sure that all of their candidates for council, mayoral and Senate elections were asked to pledge to take real action on the climate. We had more than 77 groups campaigning around the country and ahead of the elections on 6th of May, they managed to get over 500 councillors to pledge. Six of the eight elected Metro mayors signed our pledge and a third of elected Senate members. So that's some incredible campaigning by our groups and real support from our supporters as well. It doesn't stop there. We've now got elected officials in place and we'll be keeping a close eye on their first 100 days, holding those who pledged to their promises and pressuring those who didn't to take meaningful action on climate. That's great. I was really inspired to, to hear that three quarters of Metro mayors had signed up to our pledge. It just shows the impact of local campaigning. Definitely. So normally we, we just give you one piece of good news and, and one piece of bad news, but we're feeling generous today. So we've got some more good news. Friends of the Earth Netherlands secured a huge win in court against fossil fuel giant Shell. Last week, a court ordered Shell to reduce its emissions by 40% in the next 10 years. This is a massively increased target than its previous goals. And this is really a history-making event. It's the first time a polluting oil company has been held responsible for its climate impact. And I'm really excited to see what new lawsuits, new cases this will inspire. Danny, it was better than that. It was 45%. What did I say? 40. 45%, even better. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> And while we're talking about Friends of the Earth wins, um, we would like to indulge ourselves uh, by wishing ourselves a happy birthday. This is our 50th year of Friends of the Earth's existence. Um, we kicked off in May 1971 with our first ever action where we delivered thousands of non-reusable bottles to the doorsteps of Schweppes. Exactly. Yeah. Happy birthday, us. But um, Danny, on to today's topic. We're joined by two guests. Dave, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Dave Timms and I'm the Head of Political Affairs at Friends of the Earth. Lovely, thanks so much for coming along. And Matty? I'm Matty Mitchell, I'm Health Campaign Officer at Friends, Families and Travellers. Uh, we are a national organisation that works on behalf of all gypsies, Roma and travellers, uh, regardless of ethnicity, culture and background. The thing that concerns you the most about the bill? 
I think the thing that concerns me about the bill, particularly Danny, uh, is that it seems like an attack not only on people's rights, but also on um, uh, on, e on ethnic cultures. And uh, when an establishment begins to attack ethnic cultures, you can only but wonder about where that's headed to next. Thanks what about for you, Dave? Well, there are a lot of concerns about this bill. It's a big piece of legislation. There's a lot wrong with it. But uh, the two things that we're probably the most worried about are the uh, attack on the right to protest, which is so important, part of democracy, and also the attack on the gypsy Roman traveller community and the creation of a new law or uh, uh, criminalising trespass. Um, so, yeah, really deep concerns. And this is going in uh, a trend of increasingly uh, authoritarian moves across a whole load of other areas as well, such as restrictions of judicial review. So really worrying. Can you explain the uh, judicial review for those who might not be aware of it? What's the what's the clampdown on that? Yes. So uh, obviously one of the most important things about the rule of law is that the government can't break the law. And so judicial review is where you ask the courts to to look at whether the government has broken the law itself. And it's the sort of thing that we've done as Friends of the Earth time and time again on, on issues like the expansion of Heathrow Airport or on whether the government was, whether it was legal for the government to authorise the use of bee harming pesticides, for example. So it's an incredibly important check on the, uh, to stop the state, the government abusing its power. Just to go back to, you know, the, the key headlines of the policing bill, let's, let's focus on the protest elements first. What could these proposed restrictions look like on the ground? If I were to go to a protest, what might it look like? Yeah, well, it's a really good question because what it does is it gives the, the police a huge expansion of their, their powers. So, for example, previously you've never really had to think about whether your protest could be too noisy. That's the point of protests. They're supposed to be noisy. People are supposed to hear you and they might find that 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 noise irritating uh, or in inconvenient. And now the police will be able to restrict a protest because of the level of noise if they think that it could have create serious unease, distress or, or, or alarm. Well, serious unease is really not that easy to define. And it's the sort of language that you find in harassment legislation. And the, you can really imagine how, for example, a, uh, a big multinational corporation who doesn't want you outside of their uh, headquarters could say to the police, well, this is going to cause, this protest is going to cause, the noise of it is going to cause our staff serious unease and we want the police to stop it. And the police will have a whole range of powers that they've never previously had to impose conditions on that protest. So mm. previously they could only really restrict a protest if it was going to cause serious disorder, damage or disruption. But you had in the, the element of noise, but also they will include conditions. So, so uh, previously you had to have known that you were breaking a condition placed on mm -hmm. a protest by the police. Now with this new legislation, you only should have known about it. The phrases ought to have known. So somebody could find themselves doing something which is perfectly legal under normal circumstances that they don't know there's a condition has been placed on them not doing it and find themselves in breach of the law with criminal implications for them and, and potentially facing, uh, you know, a, a criminal sentence for it. This wording that you're talking about, Dave, this sort of 
loose interpretive kind of wording I think is a problem throughout the bill um, and this is frightening in itself when you can look at something and interpret it in numerous ways when really the law should be clear it should give us clear guidance on what we can and what we can't do um, and when it's not then who is that serving um, and how is that serving anybody any kind of justice I think that's something in itself that's quite frightening. The bill gives the Home Secretary the power to decide what 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 constitutes serious disruption to an organisation. So your noise levels can't cause serious disruption to an organisation, but the Home Secretary will be able to decide that. Gives them huge powers to pick and choose. So some people have said, you know, well, this wouldn't be a blanket ban on protest. Well, it wouldn't, but in a way it's kind of worse than that because it allows the state and the police to decide what protests are allowed and what protests aren't, to put any conditions on them that they might find necessary. It was previously for a kind of static demonstration, you could only decide the numbers or the, the location. But now any restrictions that the police want to, to put on them on those protests will be will be allowed. And even one person can be uh, can be restricted as well. So massive, massive implications. So just just to sort of bring it down and simplify it a bit, would it mean that I could legitimately get arrested for doing something I didn't know was wrong? Correct. That's oh. right. You you could be you could be arrested and convicted for breaching a uh, for breaking a condition that the police had placed on a protest that you didn't know about because you ought to have known about it. So that means the onus is on you to go and find out about things. So, but, but the implications of that for, say, for communities that are digitally excluded, where mm. do you find out about this? Are we all supposed to walk around now? Is it going to be mandatory to have a smartphone and to check the chief constable's Twitter feed? And what about people who aren't able to do to do that or find themselves? So really that reversal of who is responsible for, 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 for knowing or ensuring of known is really insidious. And, and protesters will, you know, the fear of turning up and being found to have accidentally breached the condition and it was your fault for not knowing about it could have a real chilling effect on people, yeah, especially exactly. when you talk about communities that have got worse experiences of the criminal justice system. Yeah, well, you, you spoke a little bit about those conditions that police might impose on protests. Um, have you got any examples? The, literally, the legislation just says any, it says any conditions that may be necessary to address the uh, the serious disorder or the noise or to reduce the impact. So thinking of the sorts of things, you could even see the police suggest that, uh, say that a maximum noise level, or even to change the wording of some of the some of the banners, or perhaps to limit the speakers at a protest or demonstration, how long they might speak for, who was on the platform, who was speaking, any, anything that's, that they deem to be necessary. Whereas previously it's only been uh, for things like the the location, or for 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 a demonstration, a static demonstration as opposed to a march, it's only been the length of time, the number of people, and the location. But they could now change the date completely. Gosh. So, what does it mean to have a right to protest if you can be told to protest? For example, let's say you're targeting, you're protesting outside an arms fair, for example. Mm -hmm. You need to be there when the arms fair is happening to have your protest but if the police can say no no you've got to do it the week before to what extent do you still have a right to protest at all and it's particularly worrying about that the police can 
um, restrict the protest because they regard it as too noisy because that goes to the heart of what protest is about which is making your voice heard um, speaking truth to power um, so it could in some ways literally silence people um, and historically how have our laws in this country dealt with protest would you say that we're a, a pro-protest society that's taking a turn Cranky, I don't. I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm the right person to be in to do international comparisons of of protest protest law. I mean, what I would say is, is that the right to protest to be difficult and annoying and irritating is really well established within law, and this and that's why this is so insidious. So I'm just going to read. read I'm not going to read you a long quote, but just a, a quote from a really famous uh, legal case. Um, uh, Lord Justice Laws. It gives you a sense of, of of which this is going against things that are well established within within the the legal system. Uh, Lord Justice Laws said, "Rights worth having are unruly things. Demonstrations and protests are liable to be a nuisance. They're liable to be inconvenient and tiresome, or at least perceived as such by others who are out of sympathy with them." So we have a situation. Um, that's not Lord Justice Laws. That's me now. Um, <laughs> where, <laughs> We have a situation, isn't it, um, where these kind of rights have been recognised, where where the courts have uh, traditionally understood that um, protests that at the time have been highly controversial and highly divisive, like the the, the suffrage movement, have been historically vindicated. Mm. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the suffrage movement. I mean, the women's suffrage movement, the the civil rights movement, um, LGBT rights movement. They have all been had elements of disruptive protest in the past. And, and um, would have, and you can just imagine, can't you, how how some of those early, uh, say the early pride marches in the in the 1970s, the noise would have for, for some people have caused, you know, serious unease who weren't 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 used or or or, or with whose homophobic attitudes meant that they were upset by seeing so many proud lesbians and gay men proclaiming their, their their love well imagine if we'd have opposed this kind of legislation on on those demonstrations you can imagine how something like the oil and gas industry would have loved this legislation during the campaign mm -hmm. against against fracking those demonstrations are outside of their drilling sites the demonstrations that are outside of their headquarters or even say a local authority that what is about to take a really controversial decision about where to build some new development or, or or to do something to a bit of loved green space. People will need to be there. And sometimes protests aren't popular with with people around, but around them. But people have a right to have have that have those have their voices heard. Matty, can you tell us a bit, you know, do you have any personal experience of protest? I don't have any personal experience of, of protest per se, but um, I am absolutely in support of it. I'm completely in agreement with everything that they've said. Um, and just the enshrined right to protest and limitations on that, I think, can only lead to um, a very restricted place that will um, makes me wonder about how much we can argue for inequalities in the future if they are in a position to tell us how loudly and how much we can argue. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. What about you, Danny? Um, yeah, I have. Um, I've rocked up to quite a few protests in the past few years and um, <laughs> And they've often been really inspiring places, like and, and often quite fun, sometimes quite family friendly, really energizing and inspiring to see so many people who um, are willing to kind of 
sacrifice their their free time their Saturday or, or whenever it is to um to try and change something that 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 they care about um I mean Dave mentioned earlier the the first pride marches I think that's that is a, a historic protest that's really inspired me you know I wouldn't have as a as a gay man I wouldn't have the rights that I do now and the and the life that I'm able to lead now if it hadn't been for people who were who were bravely able to 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 go to the streets um be noisy be disruptive um cause some unease as dave said to 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 homophobic people who were around who would have been who would have been really shocked about um seeing kind of uh, proudly lgbt people on the streets so yeah what about what about all of you is there a is there a protest movement either recent or historical that that um that inspires you um well uh gosh crikey what a what a what is this is a whole of history isn't there to go through but i mean things that i i think have been particularly relevant the mass trespass of the 1930s where you saw um people coming out of of, of sheffield and, and and manchester into the peak district um which you know eventually uh, contributed to the creation of the national parks i mean just a huge achievement um things like the the Bristol bus boycott, which had uh, had had a role in creating civil rights uh, in into the 1965, um, really spectacularly important. I'm always in awe of some of the people who have protested outside places like Greenham Common. Um, really, really inspiring for for, for 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 week after week. And more recently, you know, while I've been working at Friends of the Earth, the anti-fracking movement was so so impressive. The people that some of us had the had the privilege to 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 kind of work with uh, in communities, places like Lancashire, were awe inspiring. Yeah, it was so fun to visit the nanas in in Lancashire and the anti fracking site there. What about you, Matty? Is there a protest that's that has inspired you? Yeah, there was actually. I was specifically inspired by the Black Lives Matter protests and the movement, actually, just in general. Um, Black and minority ethnic people don't have a monolith of experience, obviously, but one thing I think that we all do experience is the feeling that you're not heard and you can speak as loudly as you want to speak, but you will not be heard. Um, to, so to see everybody come together and to be honest, to see so much change that has happened since from an advocacy perspective, I can tell you that people are much more ready to listen. People are much more ready to bring equalities issues forward in their own organisations and institutions. So it has been enormously impactful. Um, and if there ever was a, an example of, of when people speaking up together and united can make a big difference, it was definitely that last year. Yeah, I think for me, probably this ties into what's just been going on in the country. But a few weeks ago, um, we had local elections across England and Wales. And every time I vote, uh, there's a bit of a flutter in the stomach and some tears about the fact that, you know, the suffrage movement, uh, it's such a privilege to be able to vote. Um, so on a personal level, I think that's the one that affects me. But I went to a really, really lovely march, maybe about five years ago, when the um, migrant crisis was really hitting the headlines and it was a refugees welcome here march and that was powerful just in the sense of giving a bit of hope because of how many people turned up to try and counter what the rhetoric was um so i think protest is just a really important element of solidarity even if it's not something that directly affects you absolutely and one of the things that this bill does is it leaves a lot um up to the police um interpretation on the ground um, and we've had, there's actually been uh, quite a divide among police officers uh, w with their positions on this. In fact, um, half of police officers said 
um, they they don't feel they need these additional powers. And several former police chiefs have have said that the, this this legislation will pit the police against um, the communities that they serve. So, Dave, what do you think is the problem about um, leaving so much? Uh, power to police on the ground? Well, I think the, the, the police will come under pressure to use those powers. I mean, if you have powers, there'll be an expectation that you use them. So businesses or politicians will be able, will turn around to the police and say, well, why, why aren't you using your, your, your powers against these people who are creating so much noise outside of our annual general meetings of, 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 of city banks or things like that? So once powers exist, they will be under huge pressure to use them. But as Matty has said, so much of the language is so so vague, then that discretion uh, comes into comes into play, and that 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 creates a real problem. And you're right, there have been some notable police officers who have who, who have come. I think the ex chief constable of, of, of Manchester, uh, for example. Um, but also, you've got former Home Secretaries have said there are problems. So you know, Lord Lord Blunkett, David Blunkett, ex Labour Home Secretary, definitely not the most liberal uh, Home Secretary this country's seen, and Theresa May as well have both come out and said there's real problems with this with this legislation. And you know, Matty is absolutely right. Point. You know, when Matty talked about how inspiring Black Lives Matter has been and the impact that they they've had in so many institutions, what's really frightening is that so much of the conversation about the justification for this legislation is actually to crack down on Black Lives Matter and Extinction and Extinction Rebellion. Well, let's now shift the focus a little bit to the um, trespass elements of the bill. They're directly targeting gypsy, Roma and traveller communities. Matty, what will that look like for nomadic people on a day-to-day -day basis if this bill passes? It, it will look bleak, friend. So if I can just give you a preamble of the statistics first. In Britain, there are around 1,700, I'm rounding up, I don't remember the specific number of households waiting for uh, culturally appropriate accommodation. There are only 59 plots available in the entirety of the country. 20 of those are in abhorrent conditions. And, and so many of the people that you see on the roadside are there through having no, no other choice. I think we can all agree if it was as simple as saying, let's sign up for a house and just move into it, people might do it, but that takes years in and of itself. It's not an easy, quick fix. So um, to bring in a law essentially that says if you are caught doing this, you will be fined £2,500, uh, a prison sentence or confiscation of your property, which let's rephrase this in another way, your home. Mm. Um, this in essence is, is telling people that we have the power now to make you intentionally homeless. And I just think that's that's awful. But that is that is that is the reality of it. That is how it's looking for um, for nomadic um, Romani and traveller people in Britain. And just to clarify, when you said that about property, did you, did you mean what did you mean exactly about the homelessness? Sure. So property in this regard would be a vehicle um, or, or or some kind of dwelling that you would travel around in it's difficult to put a specific name on it because it could be a van it could be a camper van it could be a trailer it could be a caravan that kind of thing so uh but property in general i guess i mean the, the homes the mobile homes that people would take with them right and matty why is protecting the right to live nomadically so important and what have the historic threats been um to the to the gypsy roma and traveler community i think that it's important to protect uh, the right to live nomadically, even if not specifically for for these groups, um, just as a statement against uh, people's right to live as they want to live freely. 
Um, the commons are there. They are called the commons for a reason. Um, and the police already have powers in place to protect private land. Um, that's been in existence for a long time. It works very well. Um, so I think to, to protect uh, the right to live nomadically is basically just to protect people's freedom to live in the way that they choose to in ostensibly what is Britain, a country that prides itself on uh, freedom. Um, and uh, historically, I have to say, well, first of all, um, just to make a distinction, uh, the Romani traveller and um, Irish groups are different communities. There is not one distinct uh, community or uh, it's not a homogenous group. I have to say that very different culturally, very different historically. For the Romani people, for example, my own people um, have been in Europe for a thousand years, a long time. Um, direct lineage, we didn't spring up in Bolton somewhere. Um, somewhere between you know the events of Wuthering Heights and Peaky Blinders we are an ethnic group a very old ethnic group um, really that has been through the, the whole the entire history of Europe with Europe um, and had our own reactions to that and our own participation in it and so when you think that today in Britain um, the idea is that well we would just clamp down on this there have been numerous reports since in the newspapers of people saying it's time to tell gypsies and travellers that their lifetime lifestyle is over. Um, just despicable things in saying this and I, I have to think sometimes that people have missed the context that you're talking about ethnic groups. Irish travellers are also an ethnic group. They're an indigenous ethnic group of Ireland. They've been there for a long time. Um, they have a culture to protect uh, and I think sometimes that context is missing when people talk about the, uh, the events that affect uh, Romani and traveller people in Britain um, that you really are talking about cultures, you're talking about ethnic groups in the genetic and cultural sense this is racism absolutely and it's something that um i think i've been learning about over the past few weeks it, it's you know to be honest not an, not an issue that i've been really familiar with but it's something that i've noticed even just reading the newspapers um in the past few weeks seeing a lot of really quite explicitly racist kind of newspaper articles hearing people say stuff about um, these communities what is it that you think um, the government should be doing instead for Gypsy, Roma and traveller communities? Uh, there was already uh, a long uh, uh, established system of negotiation in place. They called it negotiate stopping. It was a fantastic idea. And the, uh, the general principle was that people would go to a local authority. They would say that we would like to stop in your catchment area, I guess, and the local authority would be in a position to say to them, okay, um, we can source an area. In return, we would like assurances that uh, of X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z could be pretty much anything. Um, and the uh, uh, household or family in question could come back with um, alternative negotiation terms or explain that their needs and it really was what it said on the tin, negotiated stopping. Um, so that was really picking up pace and that was picking up speed. And uh, it was just a nice idea and a impactful solution, I think. Uh, Dave mentioned, uh, no, Danny, sorry, mentioned that many policemen didn't want these kinds of powers. I think the majority of policemen said this really isn't uh, the solution to this. These aren't the powers that we want. Actually, more sites are the answer. So that was already in place. So I, I would like to see instead uh, more of those approaches, more negotiated stopping, if nothing else, more permanent sites, more permanent pitches for people to actually move on to. There is a statistic that has been put out by the government that there's been a 41% increase in sites. This is absolutely not true. It's actually been a 41% increase in transit sites. And because 
uh, of the number of transit sites that there were in existence already, it sounds much bigger than it is in reality. It actually, it's about 10 new pitches per year. So 41% sounds like a huge number. It really, in reality, when you consider the number of transit pitches there were already, it's uh, it's uh, marginal. And, and what is a transit site? So a transit site would be rather than the permanent site that people move on to perhaps with their family and live there and go to school, see their doctor, etc. A transit site would be somewhere that people can move on to in the interim period of traveling. So uh, right. you are in you are in transit, basically. What are some of the things that you wish were talked about more with Gypsy, Roma and Traveller issues? I wish that people would uh, speak more about these issues for what they are, which in many cases um, is racism. I have to say for posterity, um, not all travellers are ethnic groups, but um, for example, show people in Britain form part of the, the fabric of British culture, the fair every year, not just the fair, but various um, services that people have. And these these people are a very old and very established part of our history and the fabric of our culture as a nation. Um, and they uh, absolutely are entitled also to protection and advocacy. Um, so I just need to make it clear that um, I've focused predominantly on ethnic groups when actually this affects an enormous number of people who may travel vocationally and culturally. For me personally, as a Romani person, I would like to see more people speaking about it for what it is, racism, and uh, framing this in the context of an ethnic attack, an attack on uh, on ancient groups, rather than thinking, uh, perhaps missing the context that this is just a, a cultural subgroup or a, a, a band of people um, that maybe need to be stamped down on. And you mentioned um, the distinction between um, the Romani and the traveller communities. Is, is there also a distinction between the gypsy community as well? Does that also have a have a different kind of heritage? That's a great question, Danny. Thank you for asking. No, Gypsy is a contraction of the word Egyptian, and it was under the mistaken assumption when we arrived in Britain that we were Egyptian, ethnically Egyptian people. Um, obviously, we are not. It's just a word now that's been taken uh, for a long time and it's becoming common use, but Gypsy typically refers to Romani people. Many Romani people prefer not to use it. Many Romani people from Europe, for example, migrant Roma, find it deeply offensive. Uh, racially insensitive, so it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a hot topic word, and it's one that's very difficult to give you an answer to because so many people feel so strongly about it one way or another. Um, but I can say that in general, gypsy refers to Romani people, um, and how they how they feel about that specifically is uh, you know down to their personal interpretation. So what happens next? So where where are we in the bill, and what are our chances of um, of defeating it? Well, the, the, we're um, really quite near the start of the parliamentary uh, process. So the bill has had uh, its what's called its second reading in the House of Commons, which was the, the first opportunity for it to be debated by all MPs. And it's just started being discussed by a small committee of MPs, 17 of them, who look at go through the, the bill in real detail over the next sort of month, really, um, meeting a couple of times a week to go through kind of almost line by line. And this is a big bill, this is 300 pages um, to look at the detail of it. And they can potentially amend the amend the bill. Now, the government has a majority on that on that committee. So it's always an, an uphill struggle to get uh, amendments that the government doesn't want to see through. After that, it goes to third reading, what's called third reading and report stage, which is another opportunity for all MPs 
to debate the bill and then it can be amended as well. So uh, you, you can pass amendments to it, which will change the legislation. Um, government might make changes to it or there could be uh, amendments tabled by any member, uh, member, member of parliament. And then it's off to the House of Lords where the whole process repeats itself in the House of Lords. And then you come back again to a stage that's, uh, that's called ping pong, which is the Lords and the Commons uh, settled between them, anything that's un unresolved. And then finally it gets royal assent where it becomes, it becomes law. It's a uh, long and complicated process. But the, I think some of the most important points to note is obviously government has a, a hefty majority in the Commons. They don't have a majority in the House of Lords. And you have some very considerable expertise in things like constitutional matters within the House of Lords. And I think we'd be pretty certain that the House of Lords will have some real objections to um, some of the, the, the protest measures in particular. So this can be in a way, sometimes it's not worth talking about what are your chances because you just have to stand up uh, up for what's right and fight these measures because they're because they're wrong. Um, and we have to be on the right side of history when something that's wrong is being done. And it definitely is in terms of our, our freedoms and the, the, the lives of the gypsy and traveller community. And we have common cause uh, to fight together there. And and Matty, how is it? How can people support your organisation, Friends, Families, and Travellers? Um, it is possible uh, to go to our website, and we have a tool that you can use, uh, basically that allows you to input your postcode, uh, which will automatically find your MP, your local MP, and there is a pre-generated letter. However, you can change the letter in any way that you feel, or just send it as it is, um, and that would be a great support just to get the message out that people are not happy with this. Um, this uh, the, the, to express that they feel that this is wrong. Regarding marginalised people, if you don't mind, just just to say, um, it starts with people I think that nobody will remark on. For example, gypsies and travellers. Um, but as we've seen in the Saw report recently, and for anyone who isn't clear on the Saw report, it is the uh, the investigation in inequalities of uh, racial and ethnic minorities in Britain. Um, now we've seen their tagline in that, which is basically that uh, systemic racism doesn't exist in England. So when we talk about the um, the limitation of rights and the increasing increasing speed we're heading into of a, a kind of totalitarian place, when you start to say when a country says that systemic racism doesn't exist, it's a really frightening place. So I think it might it, it begins with us, but I think it is a deeper concern when you see that there there is already kind of uh, movement being made into wider racial issues in Britain and kind of chipping away at what that means. And Matty, if, um, if people want to learn more um, about um, the challenges facing the Gypsy, Roma and Traveller communities, um, is there something that you'd recommend? Unfortunately, uh, there isn't uh, an enormous amount of reliable literature on any of the communities. We are traditionally um, exploited by research and academia um, and so there's not much really to be honest with that I can personally recommend and I would say this is something that is a fantastic resource. There are uh, books out there written by uh, Romani people for example We Are the Romani People by uh, Professor Ian Hancock um, and, and some small examples but I think for the most part, if you want to get more information, it is easy to get in touch with an organisation. It doesn't have to be friends, families and travellers, but you're more than welcome to get in touch if you want to. Um, and there are numerous organisations out there. We also have a service 
services directly of other organisations that I'm more than sure if you just wanted to learn more, you could get in touch and they would be more than happy, I'm sure, to say here are some um, perhaps some of our own resources that we have that we can share on with you or here are some resources that, be, that you can find and that we would endorse. I know and I'd echo what, what, what Danny said earlier that certainly from you know my point of view working on this legislation with with uh, uh, friends, families, travellers, it's been a, a huge education. And even in this bill, I mean, the the um, clampdown on unauthorised encampments could also be used to clamp down on protest camps, which have been used extensively in the environmental movement. If you look at, for example, um, anti-fracking protests, there's been lots of pro um, lots of unauthorised um, encampments in that and and in the climate movement generally. Sorry. Yeah, Danny, you're right. I mean, that's. I mean, we've we've rightly given you know given the atten the attention on part four of the uh, of the bill to the impacts it's going to have on the gypsy and traveller community because it's an existential threat. But there's a whole bunch of organisations that are concerned with access to the countryside who are really worried um, about the impact the legislation might have on you know whether you can go uh, cycling and camping in the countryside and and the the ability of the countryside to be a place that isn't threatening for people that's full of rules with criminal sanctions uh, when we're talking about expanding access to the countryside to commute to communities that haven't traditionally been able to get there. So people of colour and some of the organisations like that we've heard from like Black Girls Hike who are really pioneering work in, in, in this in this area. So there's a lot of other organisations. Yeah, the minister, for example, couldn't even say that you wouldn't fall foul of this legislation if you had a kayak with you. Sorry, just a really final point. I think that's a great point, um, Dave. And also, I think as the bill stands now, a vehicle could be interpreted as uh, a bike, a buggy or uh, a wheelchair. So this uh, and this is the criminalisation of trespass. So um, if you get a policeman on a bad day, I'm not saying that ever happens, but if you do and they don't like that you're there, what does that mean for you if you're in a wheelchair, on a bike or carrying a child in a pushchair? Gosh, that's a sombre, sombre thought to end on. We've got a lot to think about and a lot that we can do. Do both of you have final thoughts on what you'd like to say to listeners about this bill? We can stop this. We, we, we you know, it's not going to be easy, but these are ancient freedoms which are being, uh, which are being eroded and a community um, that is being already marginalised that is under a, a real threat to its way of life. Um, so, we, we need to fight these these measures uh, and, um, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be su be successful, but it will be hard. And Matty? Absolutely. Thanks, Dave. I completely agree. Um, and as a ROM and uh, a, a millennial, I would say both things, but also for protest. Um, protest is so important. And um, even if one part of the bill doesn't um, anchor you in any way, then at least attack this bill from the protest angle, because it's so important that we keep those freedoms and uh, that we preserve those freedoms for people that come after us also. Thanks, Matty. And, you know, it's important to remember as well that the rights that we've won in society were never handed to us on a plate, that they're, they're things that we fought for. And, and that includes this bill, you know, whether or not this bill passes as it is will depend on the resistance that um, we put up against it. Um, and for listeners at home who want to join the campaign, um, I suggest you uh, sign up to our open letter, which has already had 
um, over 500,000 signatures across all of the NGOs um, who've who've um, who've worked on that joint open letter. Um, and if you sign that, then you'll you'll keep updated um, about some of the future activities that we're planning. Um, that we've got planned. So campaigning with your MPs, um, spreading the word in your community as well. You can find that by just typing into Google policing bill friends of the earth and it should pop up. Thank you both so much for coming and sharing um, your thoughts on what's a really quite scary proposition from the government. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.